This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy. Season 7, Episode 15. Frida Kahlo. Appearances can be deceiving. A conversation with Hilary Alcott, coordinating curator at the DeYoung Museum. The Frida Kahlo exhibit at San Francisco's DeYoung Museum is a collection of the artist's most personal artifacts, including clothing, photographs, prosthetics, paintings, and jewelry, which was stored at her home in Mexico City from the time of her death in 1954 until 2004. This is the first time that a significant part of this collection is being shown on the West Coast. With us today to discuss the exhibit and the artist is Hilary Alcott, coordinating curator at the de Young Museum. Frida Kahlo was born in Coyacan, close to Mexico City, in 1907. Considered to be one of Mexico's greatest artists, her life was marked by chronic pain and ill health. Nevertheless, she went on to become an internationally acclaimed painter in her lifetime. But she died at the young age of 47 in 1954 in her native Mexico. Her painting style is distinctive, and it is not easily categorized. But the exhibit sheds light on who she was and how her personal style was reflected in her life. She married Diego Rivera in 1930. Diego, of course, was the famed Mexican painter and muralist. They came to San Francisco in 1930, where Rivera had been commissioned to paint several large murals, including the one at the Stock Exchange building among several others. They came back to San Francisco in 1940, and Rivera completed an enormous mural for the 1940 San Francisco World's Fair. That mural is today housed at City College of San Francisco. Frida was gaining prominence as an artist in her own right in the 1930s and the 1940s, and her work was exhibited widely in New York, San Francisco, and Paris. Hilary Alcott is coordinating curator of the Frida Kahlo exhibit. She is a graduate of UCLA with a BA in anthropology and Georgetown University, where she earned an MA in art and museum studies. Hilary, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jim. I'm delighted to be here. Hillary, please tell our listeners about your background in the field of museum curation and specifically about putting this exhibit together. Well, I just had my seven-year anniversary at the Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco. Congratulations. So I have been, thank you. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to be in this beautiful city now for seven years. 
Um, and I am the associate curator in the Department of the Arts of Africa, Oceania, and the Americas. And uh, as you mentioned, I've had the honor and privilege of acting as the De Young Museum's coordinating curator for the special exhibition, Frida Kahlo Appearances Can Be Deceiving. And before I was at the Fine Arts Museums, I was at a small museum in Washington, D.C., called Dumbarton Oaks. It's a research institution and um, beautiful little gem of a museum that specializes in Byzantine art as well as what they call pre-Columbian art. So my background really is in the ancient Americas. Um, But since coming to the Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco, I've had the opportunity to work on really a number of great projects, including this most recent one about Frida Kahlo. Mm -hmm. Now, I imagine for uh, an exhibit of this uh, this size, something like this probably takes a couple of years to put together. Absolutely. And I must admit that I am a very recent addition to the project. The exhibition really first started taking shape um, shortly after the discovery was made at La Casa Azul in 2004 of Frida Kahlo's personal possessions. Um, and shortly thereafter, the museum started working with uh, Cerce Nestrosa, who is the guest curator of this exhibition, to form a small show that's actually still on view at uh, La Casa Azul in Mexico City, uh, now the Museo Frida Kahlo. And that exhibition uh, was called I believe the dresses of Frida Kahlo, Los Vestidos de Frida Kahlo. And then the exhibition was expanded into a major presentation at the Victorian Albert Museum in London, uh, which was on view in 2018. Um, I feel like I've lost 2020 because of COVID. I believe it was on view in 2018, and that was called Frida Kahlo Making Herself Up. Um, and then the exhibition went to Brooklyn and was, the, was called Frida Kahlo Appearances Can Be Deceiving, and that was on view in 2019. And then we are fortunate enough to have it now at the De Young Museum in San Francisco. And um, the exhibition, as I mentioned, was the guest curator was Cersei Henestrosa, excuse me, and uh, advising curator Guinea Ancori. Um, and then I acted as the GM Museum's coordinating curator. So it's a huge team and it's been developed over many, many years. And although it was at different venues, I have to say the show at the GM Museum is unique because other than the core materials that came from La Casa Azul, the other artworks that are on view are unique to this venue for the most part. So we were able to explore different themes than were sort of brought up in the other presentations of the show, including focusing on this time that Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera spent here in our beautiful city of San Francisco. So so this particular, this iteration of the exhibit is unique to San Francisco, and the there, there are two significant visits here in 1930 and 1940 that both of the artists enjoyed here in San Francisco. Yes, absolutely. Um, they, it's we have, we're lucky enough to have a number of works that Frida Kahlo made here in San Francisco when she was visiting in 1930, um, including the beautiful double portrait that is uh, owned by the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, SFMOMA, um, called uh, Frida and Diego Rivera. So 
for those of the, your listeners who are in the Bay Area, um, I definitely recommend coming to take a look while that show is still on view. And it'll be up until May 2nd or through May 2nd, through, I should say. Through May 2nd. And, of course, given COVID and the restrictions of COVID, I guess they need to make reservations. Yes, definitely. Reservations are required. We are being very, very conscientious about COVID safety. And so um, we're limiting the number of visitors in the museum and the exhibition spaces and entries are timed. So check out our website, dyoung.famsf.org, for more information about how to book tickets. Absolutely. Now, in in preparation for this podcast, I I read up a little on uh, Frida Kahlo. And you know, when I think of Frida Kahlo, I think of these wonderful photographs. I think of these self-portraits. And then, mm-hmm. then I read that of her collection of 143 paintings, that 55 of them were self-portraits. And I was just curious, is that is that common among uh, painters, among artists, to do that many self-portraits? I mean, almost one-third of her paintings or self-portraits is that is that commonplace? That's a great question, and honestly, I don't I don't know the answer to that. I mean, certainly some artists focus on themselves as the subject, and and Kahlo is definitely one of them. She was the queen of selfies, really, the original queen <laughs> of selfies. Um, but part of that is because you know, as as is also really known about the rhetoric of you know Kahlo. Paulo's life and her work is this this sorrow and this pain that surrounded her and and certainly she started painting because she was in a severe accident and you know was bedridden and so that's when she started painting and famously she had a mirror mounted above her bed and started making these self-portraits but I think she also lived a lot of her life quite alone and um she said that she's the subject she knows best, so she painted it. But um, they're also very certainly striking paintings and, and very personal, and through them she explores these different facets of herself, which we, we talk about in the exhibition. We explore the ways in which her um, sort of gender identity, her experiences with disability, her fierce national pride, her um, fervent communist beliefs all shaped her life, but also her style and her artwork. Um, so we get to, through these self-portraits and also through other paintings, we get to learn a lot about this really remarkable woman. Well, you know, all of those, all of those themes that you mentioned, gender identity, her... Um, and all of the other themes that you mentioned they are contemporary themes. She was way ahead. Was she way ahead of her time in the 1930s and 1940s? Oh, absolutely. I mean, she certainly, you know, marched to the beat of her own drum. She, she loved standing out and she, she was very unique. I don't, it's interesting. I don't know if she knew herself really. I think that she was constantly trying to find herself and that's what a lot of her self portraiture perhaps explored, but um, she certainly was trying to find her own way in this world and did a great job because, you know, she's such an icon today and she's the model of, of unapologetic self-expression, really. You know, it's interesting. So many, so many people 
uh, during my lifetime, your lifetime, come to San Francisco to find themselves and often come to San Francisco because it's a very free, open, liberal, accepting, tolerant place. I guess that was that was the case with Frida. Yeah, and that's a great point. You know, she didn't, uh, unlike many others, perhaps, who definitely came here to find themselves, uh, she didn't, she came here with her husband in 1930. She was a young woman. She had just gotten married the year before, 1929, to Diego Rivera, who was, you know, more than 20 years her senior. Um, He was already a famous artist, and she was a young woman who had never left Mexico before, and Rivera was commissioned to paint these major murals in San Francisco in the new Stock Exchange building, which is now the City Club, mm-hmm. and at um, SFAI at the at, at San Francisco Art Institute. And she came along with him, and and it was a really remarkable experience for her. She wrote her mother copious letters while she was here, and she writes about her excitement for seeing the ocean. And she loved how diverse the city was. And she really, Kala really explored her own artistic practice while she was here. She painted a number of paintings, but she also explored her kind of visual identity, her style, this look that she began to cultivate and then, of course, became famous for. And it was really in San Francisco that she started dressing in this kind of iconically Mexican way to communicate, in part, her Mexican pride um, and her national identity. But she was also, she lived down on Montgomery street, um, in, in across the street from what is now the Transamerica tower. Oh, yes. And actually at the site of the Transamerica tower was this Montgomery block. It was this large apartment sort of studio complex that was full of artists. And, um, she ran in circles with the famous artists who were in San Francisco. And so she really, I think, was enriched in many, many ways by her time that she spent here. Although brief, it was only about uh, five, six months that she was here, it, it really shaped her um, in an unexpected way. Well, tell us, I, I noticed uh, when, when we were chatting beforehand, you mentioned that you co-authored a book about Frida being in San Francisco. And I think you've just, you've just given us a flavor of some of the major influences that San Francisco had on her. Any other, any other insights, any other unique history of Frida's time in San Francisco and how that, that colored her, uh, who she was and what her style became? Um, yeah. And thank you for that book plug. I appreciate it. We, (laughs) we did put out a special kind of mini uh, catalog to go with our version of the exhibition, um, and it's co-authored by Cersei Henestrosa, uh, Gani Ankori, and myself, and it um, is entitled Frida Kahlo in San Francisco, Constructing Her Identity. And so we go into more detail about how her time in San Francisco sort of shaped both her artistic practice um, and her her kind of style and her look as uh, Cersei would say, her look. But one great example of that can be seen in that double portrait from SF MoMA, Frida and Diego Rivera, um, because Kahlo sort of moves beyond her... She Her early style, she... I mean, 
it's hard to say where Kahlo exactly, her major influences came from. Mm-hmm. She really pulled pieces from so many different places. And, and especially early in her career, I mean, as, as all artists, we see her experimenting with these different styles. And so at this point, she kind of changes direction and begins to model um, her paintings after these kind of more Mexican folk painting styles. She's looking at her the ex voto, the votive paintings that she has in her collection. And um, she paints this double portrait. And for the first time, she paints herself in this floor length, tiered Mexican gown. And she has a big, heavy strand of pre-Hispanic jade beads on. And, um, she has her beautiful red reboso, her shawl, and she very clearly shows herself as a proud Mexican woman. She wants to communicate that very clearly through her painting. Um, and this painting is special not only because she made it here in San Francisco, but she actually showed it in an exhibition. It was shown at the um, what's now the SF Women Artists. I think it was then called the SF, the San Francisco Society for Women Artists, but it's still... Um, a a wonderful and vibrant organization here in uh, San Francisco. They hosted their sixth annual exhibition at the palace of um, the California palace of the Legion of honor, Mm -hmm. which is the other half of the fine arts museums of San Francisco. So um, it's, she showed it there in 1931 in this great um, sort of East meets West competition of American artists. It was, California artists versus non-California artists. So she was in the East category um, and did not win the exhibition. It was a California artist who won that exhibition, but it's really special to have her painting returned to the Fine Arts Museum of San Francisco uh, yet again, nearly 90 years later, exactly 90 years later, actually. That's, that's absolutely amazing. You know, coming back to this, this collection, which, which we have the honor of having here in San Francisco, was she was she a very private person? I mean, the mere fact that these personal artifacts were locked away from 1954 to 2004, did she have like a like a Jackie Kennedy obsession with uh, with privacy, or or was this beyond her control? Was this her husband or her executor? Why why did it take 50 years for this to uh, to see the light of day? Yeah, that's a great question. So actually, I think that she was an. I think she was more on the exhibitionist side yeah, of I things. I would have thought so. Um, <laughs> I think that she she was definitely a celebrity in her time. She had a flair for the you know extravagant, and she loved to host, and she loved to have parties and enjoy life and play music and dance. And so you know, it's funny part of her the the rhetoric about her, you know the sorrow and pain, but she absolutely had a joie de vivre. You know, she, she loved to live life. Um, So I don't think that she was a private person per se. And in fact, one of the points that we considered as, as this exhibition was developed is that, you know, there are these, as you mentioned, there are these very personal materials of hers, her medicines, her prosthetic devices, these these orthopedic devices. Um, But, we were very conscientious about not showing anything that Kahlo hadn't already shown. 
So, for instance, she depicts her nude body wearing these these prosthetic, sorry, these orthopedic devices, these back braces. She she depicts them in her paintings. She mm-hmm. depicts them in her drawings. Mm-hmm. There are photographs of her showing her these painted corsets, plaster corsets that are on view. She showed them to the world. She showed them to the photographers. Her her experiences with her body were absolutely a part of her her identity and her self-expression that she shared with the world. So we were very conscientious about respecting her privacy and not airing any dirty laundry or anything that, you know, she didn't already didn't, we didn't want to share anything that she hadn't already shared with the world in her own way. Um, It was really Diego Rivera who requested that the materials be shut away and he had requested that they were sh- they be shut away for 15 years after his death. Mm-hmm. Um, and he died in 1957. And it wasn't until 2004 that the estate um, released sort of permission to, mm-hmm. to gave permission to release that hold and open up these spaces. And um, I think part of that may have may have been about privacy, you know, but also it may have just been about sheer volume. I mean, they found 20,000 documents from the couple's life and thousands of photographs and hundreds of her personal possessions. So I don't know if, you know, any listeners have had the experience of cleaning out loved ones, personal possessions, but it's a big, it's a big and hard job. Mm -hmm. So I think that may have played a part in, in it as well. Now she was becoming, she was becoming recognized internationally in the 1930s into the 1940s and was certainly uh, well-known at the time of her death. Has her painting, as a result of the discovery of these personal artifacts, has there been a, a renewed interest in her in her works? I mean, that's a great question. I, I don't know if it's because of this discovery. I certainly think, as, as you mentioned, you know, she was famous during her life, but she didn't reach the mega stardom that she has today, you know, until many decades after she passed. I mean, it was probably the 1970s into the 1980s that she really was getting this, this larger kind of resurgence. And now, I mean, her paintings sell for millions and millions and millions of dollars. So, but I don't know that that's the result of this discovery. Um, I think that this discovery really, enriched scholars understanding of her as a woman, as a person, as a thinker, as, and also as an artist. Mm-hmm. And, and actually as being a thinker in her own right, not being derivative of her husband, who was also uh, a, uh, a very acclaimed painter and artist on the international scene, but she also was uh, as acclaimed as as he was. I mean, her career and her accomplishment is not derivative of his. Or, do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and that was a that was something that she faced her entire marriage. She was always Diego Rivera's wife, a famous artist's wife, you know, and kind of overshadowed by him. Even when she became famous in her own right, I mean, he was a major artist before they even met. 
Mm-hmm. And um, he was also a really prolific artist in a way that she wasn't. But she was certainly influenced by him in, in certain ways, but completely had her own style and, and a much more complex um, field of of sources of, of inspiration. I mean, she drew from everything that surrounded her. She drew from her contemporaries like Diego Rivera and the other Mexican modernists and her friends, the Covarubiases and, you know, all of these people who surrounded her. She also drew from her, her German heritage, her, her indigenous heritage, the pre-Hispanic past of her country, the natural beauty of her country of the present, you know, the old masters, Catholicism, Hinduism. I mean, she just really soaked everything up and mixed it all together and created something that was entirely herself. So, yeah, she... Very definitely... Go ahead. Very definitely a San Francisco spirit. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, of course, one of her great... um, tragedies in her life was that uh, as much as she wanted to have a child, she couldn't have a child. And she talked about uh, wishing that she could have a Dieguito, a uh, little Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you speak to that, uh, the fact that she she was childless and how that may have influenced her, her art? So this, it's true. Um, her, her inability to have children certainly influences her art she addresses the subject in numerous works and uh, we really only have one on view in the exhibition that kind of pertains to this whether or not I mean it's kind of as a lot of things I think in her life um, it's debated as to whether or not she wanted to have children but she does talk about her yeah her desire to have a diaito and some people wonder if that's you know, to have him be more interested in her or if it was really her desire. But regardless, she had, um, when she lived in Detroit, so after the the couple was in San Francisco, they went to New York and then they went to Detroit. And in Detroit, Carl had a really very serious miscarriage. Mm. She, she nearly died. I mean, she was in Henry Ford hospital and made this very famous painting. Um, but she, was extremely ill and then also was very unhappy in her time in, um, in Detroit. But shortly after she has the miscarriage, she, with her friend, Lucien Block starts, they start kind of experimenting in lithography. And so she makes her only, uh, known lithograph during this time. And she made a few copies of it and we have one, um, it's actually part of the museum's permanent collection called El Aborto. Um, and she depicts herself in this process of losing the the fetus and shows this very detailed anatomical drawing of the different stages of a fetus. And, and again, that shows you what she's looking at. She's looking at medical textbooks, and she also kind of shows from the the abortion, the, the miscarried um fetus and the blood that comes from her soaks into the earth and from this this kind of pre-Hispanic these Aztec style plants and she's looking at codices are growing and also from this she sprouts herself a third arm which holds a palette in it in its hand her hand um 
and she kind of re she is reborn as an artist in this. Mm-hmm. And even though it's a small, a little lithograph, it's a very powerful piece. Um, and actually that lithograph is special because she gave it to her friend, Juan O'Gorman, the famous architect who, who built, designed and built their Casa Estudio um, in, in San Angel in, in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. Um, so she gave this copy of the lithograph to her close friend, um, and then it is now in the collection of the Fine Arts Museums. Mm. Well, Hillary, as we uh, as we come up on our remaining few minutes of the podcast here, are there are there any closing thoughts you have for our listeners on the exhibit and Frida? And by the way, is where does the exhibit go after San Francisco? So I'm not sure that it's going anywhere. I've heard rumors that it um, may be slated again a, a kind of a different version of it. You're never going to see this show again. So what I would say to the, your listeners, if you can come see this exhibition, um, please do. It's up through May 2nd, and it's a really special show. Um, a selection of the materials from La Casa Azul may be going on to another venue, but I'm not quite sure where things stand now in our kind of COVID world. Um, but if you can't come see the show, please do check out our museum's website, again, org. We have a number of great programs that we've done virtually during our shelter in place, um, including a really beautiful exhibition walkthrough. It's available on YouTube. We partnered with an Oakland-based filmmaker, Benjamin Michel, and he and his team did a fabulous job capturing the essence of um, the exhibition and of Kahlo. So you can hear me and my co-curators on that walkthrough and um, get a sense of the show if you can't see it in person. Well, for the benefit of our listeners, I'd like to thank our guest, Hillary Alcott, the coordinating curator of the Frida Kahlo exhibit here at the DeYoung Museum, for being with us today and sharing her unique insights into this, uh, into this fantastic exhibit. Uh, very rarely do we have a an artist of global renown who visited San Francisco and during their visit clearly that visit had a significant impact on her art on her art going forward and that's what uh, as Hillary has outlined for us today that's what this exhibit that's the unique feature of this exhibit so if you haven't already made your way to San Francisco or called the museum to make a reservation to get your tickets, please do so. You have until May 2nd to do so, and um, I thoroughly recommend that you do. Once again, Hillary, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your, your unique insights and enthusiasm about this, uh, about this unique view of Frida Kahlo's time here in San Francisco. Thank you, Jim. It's been my pleasure to be here. Wonderful. And for my listeners, again, please take a moment to visit our website to subscribe to the podcast, www.thesanfranciscoexperiencepodcast.com. It's free to do so, and by subscribing, new episodes come directly to your inbox. Also, you can listen to past episodes. There are about 140 of them. You can read my blog, and you can send me an email or post your comments. And please check my website for the most recent blog post where there are some additional photographs of Frida 
and her many paintings and photographs. Again, this has been the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, reporting to you from America's favorite city, San Francisco.